Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today, I'm privileged to welcome a good friend, an incredible person who has a lot of passion for building communities and a fellow board member of the YPO Earth Impact Summit, Fritz Prosimeka. Fritz, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thank you. Fritz uh, is a community builder. He's the chair of the Institute for Accountability in the Digital Age. He has a passion for bringing people together in the digital age. He's focused on linking information technology, innovation and impact. And he's the Secretary General International Relations of CIO Net. So Fritz, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career? Uh, well, um, the first one... I would imagine yeah, the first one's actually the most important. When I was, uh, I studied at Delft University, a technical university, mm -hmm. uh, mid 80s. And I started to work for a Dutch startup providing um, information systems to the oil and gas industry, which is my background, oil and gas. And that's what got me into IT. Uh, so I've been in IT for over 30 years. That was uh, very much a lucky coincidence to. Uh, be introduced into in, a very new industry at the time. Correct. So that would be my, I would say my very first key milestone. Mm -hmm. um, when I started, I was very much uh, in, in a commercial role, uh, supporting, coaching uh, organizations using our technology. Mm -hmm. uh, and you more or less follow the rabbit hole, you become an account manager, senior account manager, sales manager. Mm -hmm. And during, and that's this is my, I would say second key milestone mm -hmm. is um, after 10 years during an, uh, an NLP training, um, my colleagues gave me the feedback, hey, we like you very much, but I think we're not seeing the true you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, that resulted in what I still remember as my epiphany, in the sense I realized that that whole 10 years of following, pursuing that commercial role, uh, I didn't have my heart in it. And that's why I decided to look elsewhere. And it took me a small year to find out, but that led me to the role of being an alliance manager, uh, connecting uh, organizations to each other never look back that's when that's the very first moment personally i realized yes that's what i want to do just connect people and organizations to each other amazing and the third one was um something which happened to me in australia i was asked to do a keynote in 2009 mm -hmm. on business process management and I was the keynote on day one, and then end of the day, I got a uh, quest from the organization. Can you also do the keynote on day two? Because we, uh, the, the keynote of day two, uh, couldn't make it. Now, I already covered all my material in the first keynote, but I also came over there to set up the local business process management forum. So let's talk about how to set up a business uh, process management forum as a community. Mm -hmm. And you and make and I was just uh, using my experience in the Netherlands and in Europe to do that, and that resulted in a d discussion with over a hundred people, a nice dialogue, 
where we were talking about for the first, for my the very first time how to build a community, mm -hmm. and, we, and we were translating it to from building a business community to building a business process. Mm -hmm. So that was my second epiphany: is hey, realizing that it doesn't matter if you build a community, if you implement a business process, if you form an alliance. It's all about um, collaborating on a non-hierarchical level, mm -hmm. and that got me on the path over you know, so it's, well, over 10 years ago to explicitly look at how do we build communities. So those would be my three milestones. What amazing milestones. So let's move on and let's talk about you as a community builder. How do you build communities? Mm. Give, me, give me some examples. Well, uh, all my life, uh, I, I think maybe best anecdotal, I was the alliance manager of Cambridge Technology Partners. Mm -hmm. And the CEO at the time asked me, hey, um, if I was successful or not, if I was doing my job or not. Mm -hmm. And I realized he wasn't asking this, I would say, on an operational level in the sense he knew what my job was mm -hmm. and was asking how I was performing up to standard. No, he just did not have a clue what it meant to be an alliance manager. And I had the same uh, observations with, with talking to other alliance managers. So I said, well, why don't we get a cup of coffee? Mm -hmm. Why don't we come together? And why don't we discuss how, um, as alliance managers, we could start to promote what our role is in, in, in this world. Mm -hmm. So one of the first things I've learned in community building is look at what you have in common. Mm -hmm. um, and make certain it's a unique question to be a successful community because so if you ask people what you have in common and it turns out that question hasn't been asked yet mm -hmm. then you have something to build upon because you'll notice over time a lot of people uh, might have the same question so you have to listen to people understand what you have in common and then let's say show the tenacity to um, pursue the the answers to that uh, basic question you're asking yourself. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, where it starts. Just do it. Okay. And I guess uh, communication is a very, very important part of... Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, and communication, in that sense, uh, not what a lot of people think, mm -hmm. that you have to be a good speaker. Right. Communication, in this case, means you have to be a good listener. Because that's, I th uh, for me, also the difference between building a network and building a community. Right. In the case of a network, a lot of people want to connect themselves to as much people as possible. Mm. But if you want to build a community, mm. it's, it very much helps if you connect people within your community to each other. Right. And you can only do that uh, sensibly if you know what the other pe person is thinking of, what the other person needs. Mm. And that requires uh, empathy, that requires listening skills, that requires understanding uh, what it's all about, mm. what, 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 what the question is. And then, hey, I'm hearing you say, I have that question. Well, I know somebody I talked to a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, you might want to talk to him. Mm. So it's that, that, that's a key difference for me between networking and community building. Fantastic. That's an amazing example. So now let's talk about the Institute for Accountability in the Digital Age. Tell me about this organization. Yes. Uh, over 12 years ago, I got connected uh, to 
uh, somebody at UNESCO, we were both on the advisory board of the World CIO Forum. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was the secretary general of CIONet, which mm -hmm. at the time was the biggest CIO community, still is in the world, which I left about three years ago. Mm -hmm. But he said, hey, we need to have this community as part of a global discussion, because uh, what we see is that there's a growing gap between the pace at which digital technology is growing mm -hmm. and to what extent the legal framework can keep up with. So, and this is a question which was asked to me about three, four years ago. Can you help out? Can you help out given you have a very interesting group of people behind you who uh, might have something to say in this question, mm -hmm. but more importantly, we need to build a global community, bring all the stakeholders together and discuss how uh, we should uh, address that question on accountability in a digital age. So this is this initiated with the whole GDPR discussion in, in Europe, uh, the right to be forgotten, how can you manage information across borders, and we start to ask about that question where you need accountability. It also looks at how can you make AI accountable? How can you make certain that um, privacy and cybersecurity issues are addressed in, in a correct manner? Interesting. It's also a question about how you can use that technology, how you can use digital technology to make other systems accountable. Okay. And what are the challenges that are faced in the digital age? You know, I mean, we're, we're all entering into an age which is certainly very alien to people like me of my age group. So, well, I, I think that in itself, sorry, sorry, actually, that's one of the big challenges is that uh, the people who are currently, I'll say, running the world as digital immigrants uh, might not fully appreciate the speed at which technology is developing at the moment. Correct. I'll give you an example, real-life example. Uh, two, three years ago, I had Jana to, to have a very small conversation at a conference here announced with Newt Gindrich, mm -hmm. former Speaker of the House of the States. So I asked him about, hey, what's his view was on accountability in a digital age? Mm -hmm. And he gave it a second of thought and said, well, it's just like, this is nothing new. It's just like when the, 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 the car came in or the steam train came into uh, the world mm -hmm. and it took about 10, 10, 20 years before we were able to cope with that technology. And so what's new? It's just a new technology. Okay. And I've noticed in the room because a lot of people didn't have an IT background in the room. That must be, yeah, that's a sensible answer. Mm -hmm. but I think the point which was missed is that the speed of change, you cannot afford, you cannot wait for 10, 20 years mm. to catch up with that technology because it's moving so fast, you cannot catch up. Correct. So understanding at what speed you need to uh, develop mm. uh, tools to cope with that, uh, that's the key question. Okay. And um, you spoke of accountability in mm -hmm. the middle age. What is uh, the accountability that we are seeking? Um. Well, it's not necessarily different from, I would say, normal accountability. Uh, so you still want to be able to um, uh, make somebody accountable. It's always a person at the end of the day. You cannot hold a system or an organization uh, accountable. Okay. 
Um, <coughs> the key difference is the tools you will use to hold people accountable, mm -hmm. uh, to address uh, and uh, see the issues which are placed. So basically, what we've uh, what we're seeing is that we're looking at trying to identify 21st century solutions for what I would call a 21st century issue. Okay. Because the very fast pace in which digital technology is developing at the moment, uh, the analog uh, rules and regulation system just cannot keep up. So we have to think about what are 21st century solutions to track that. And that's actually the real, let's say, quest uh, to uh, go about that. Other than that, the fundamental difference is the, 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 the fundamental issue about accountability that is the same, but it's, it's the, the dynamic, which is a key difference. Mm, fascinating. So, you know, you also speak about, uh, you're being focused on linking tech, uh, information, technology, innovation, and impact. Yes. Can you help me understand this with an example? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I think a lot of information technology, um, in itself is so innovative. That's where the innovation link comes in. Mm -hmm. That is changing the way we do business. Mm -hmm. uh, so for me, it's not just using technology to make the same system uh, go faster. Mm -hmm. It's also realizing that technology can completely change, disrupt your business process, and by that also disrupting somebody's business. Mm -hmm. uh, giving an example of a couple of years ago, I was asked to be on the advisory board of uh, the FinTech Summit in uh, California. And so speaking to the people organizing this, um, uh, hey, how, who do you compete with? How do you, um, uh, who are you looking at? Mm -hmm. And they were just looking at other banks uh, down the road. So, well, hey, strangely enough, because you have the internet, you don't have to be down the road. You can also be in another country. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And have you considered that um, companies like Apple and Google are buying a banking license? Mm -hmm. Or the great example, uh, I think, where, where you see technology really change people's lives is in Africa, as an example, like M-Pesa, where nobody has, almost nobody has a, 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 bank, um, uh, a bank account, but, but everybody does have a, a phone, a mobile phone. Mm -hmm. And now you see that a whole financial system is built about, around your phone credit, uh, and that's called M-Pesa. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to... Uh, for instance, and this is one example, uh, the, the, the finance industry, then you see that the enabling digital technology is so much fundamentally changing business models that it leads to innovations like MPESA. Mm -hmm. So organizations, uh, industries have to realize that the competition might not even come from your own industry. It's coming from a completely uh, different angle. So you'll be blindsided if you don't watch out and look at the bigger picture. Very well said. So for someone who, you know, looks at the digital economy so closely, what would you think, say, are the top two predictions of what could happen in the digital economy? Um, <clears throat> I have to give that a think. Mm -hmm. And I would answer that question in the following manner. Mm -hmm. 
already for a number of years we have been talking about the the digital transition mm -hmm. uh we're we're all in we're uh, the world economic uh, forum calls this the the fourth industrial wave mm -hmm. so rationally we already know it's happening we already know it's there but what i see what COVID has brought us mm -hmm. is all of a sudden now we feel it we, we feel what it means to be uh working in a digital um community in digital environment mm -hmm. and i'll give you an example and he publicly stated this the the government cio uh Lawrence fisher uh, somebody i know mm -hmm. uh publicly stated that because of COVID, he also needed to work at home mm -hmm. and he was i'll say I think it's pleasantly surprised that he could still continue to do his work mm. without the need to go to that office. Mm. Uh, so the fact that we're now forced for a significant um, period to complete to work completely differently, mm -hmm. uh, I think that is going to have a major impact. Now we see we now no, we only see we feel that we're, we're going through this change at the moment. You know, and, and, and you're so right. I mean, I would never have been able to have a conversation with you without a digital platform yeah. like Zoom. So yeah, uh, I think uh, pre-COVID uh, already Skype existed. But if you'd have a board meeting or a conference and somebody would call into Skype, uh, it was, I would say, a novelty. Uh, you would see people speaking on the screen and you would look and see that half of the audience was looking at their phone. Hey, nice. It wasn't taken seriously yet. Correct. Now it is. And uh, in my role, I've had the big honor to um, speak around the world uh, on uh, community building. And last year with the whole lockdown, that hasn't stopped. It just shifted to a Zoom meeting and still been able to talk in India, in Ghana, um, just by having this meeting. So... Being in the same time zone was the question. Very well said. So let's move on to another question. You know, uh, what would you say are some of the sectors to watch for uh, in the digital economy? Um, I think if I would have an answer to that, uh, <laughs> I think I would be very wealthy and rich. Um, why I didn't ask you the names of companies. Yes, yeah. Uh, no, I, I would not have a, a, an understanding of um, industries, let alone particular companies. Okay. What I do believe we have to watch out for is you, uh, I see this need for developing 21st century skills. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we all talk about we need uh, the STEM skills to develop the STEM skills. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I pardon, uh, noticed uh, a couple of years ago, people started, oh, we don't need STEM, we need STEAM. Mm -hmm. They added the A, the A for arts, uh, to that discussion. And uh, I do believe that companies who take into account, we still need that mm -hmm. art, that creative thinking, um, organizations who, who take that into account in through their thinking, realizing that um, the world's changing so fast, so we have to be creative. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I do believe 
uh, organizations who who bring that to the t- who bring that along mm-hmm. uh, are going to be agile enough to cope with the change which we're all going to see which 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 is going to come. Mm-hmm. So, because um, I do believe that this whole society is shifting from what I would call a command and control to a connect and collaborate system. We're shifting from the silos, which yeah. are quite rigid, to a versatile and agile network of yeah. connections. Very fascinating. So, Chris, I'm going to move, move to the last section of our conversation, which is some questions for you personally. For someone who spent such an incredible amount of time in oil and gas, you know, in technology, seen, recognized all over the world, from where you sit today, mm-hmm. what does success mean to Fritz? At the end of the day, I think it's doing what I love mm-hmm. and also having the freedom to define my own uh, rules and criteria. Mm-hmm. So, like I said uh, in the beginning of our discussion, the first 10 years going down the rabbit hole of account manager, senior account management, mm-hmm. I was actually trying to live up to somebody else's criteria, what was a definition of success. Okay. Oh, after a sales ma- uh, account role, you need to be sales manager. And I realized and that wasn't making me happy. I, I didn't really love that. Uh, when I stepped away and realized, hey, I have a choice. I can define what I want to do. Mm-hmm. That actually made me very happy. So for me, the success is just doing what I love. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And a follow-up question to that is that who or what inspires you? Almost always people I have direct and personal conversations with. Um, So the people who gave me the feedback uh, of who I am, uh, the people who gave me advice when... um, after 20 years working for a corporate environment, I moved uh, to being uh, independent. Mm-hmm. And some people just get, and sometimes it could be just one or more sentence. But I've noticed over time, um, those one or two statements over time, I keep on referring to them as my lessons learned and also lessons I want to share with as much other people as possible. Interesting. So we've got time for one more question for you. And, you know, <laughs> Your last comment of lessons learned is, uh, and it's in segue to my next question. And this question is on failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the world that I come from, uh, which is Asia, parents don't tell children it's okay to fail. We're always told be first, be head of the line, etc., etc. Yet we fail and we learn. My question to you is, what have been some of your biggest learnings? Oh, from some uh, of your biggest mistakes. Uh, well, I'm a little bit biased uh, by that question, uh, and that is, I talk a lot with somebody, I really recommend you to also uh, talk to, it's a friend of mine, Professor Paul Iska, okay. and he set up the Institute of Brilliant Failures. Oh, wow. Okay. And by talking to Paul a lot, mm-hmm. I realized there are so many lessons to be learned from failing, mm-hmm. tinkering, that um, this hardly feels like a failure anymore. You've just 
try to do something. Correct. And if it doesn't work, you try something else. Mm. And uh, in my line of work where I build you, uh, communities and support communities and coach communities, uh, in almost all cases, these are unique, one-of-a-kind entities. Mm. So you're always going to be a pathfinder trying to find your way of, okay, how do we going to get there? Mm. So in a lot of cases, you have the end goal in mind. But getting there requires the realization that after step one comes step one. Mm. So after each step, you have to evaluate, am I still more or less on the right track or do we have to backtrack a bit? Mm. Uh, so you have to be agile to get there. Now, so I've always treated mistakes as um, something I've learned from, something... Um, okay, in all honesty, like everybody else, ignore it that I made them. Mm-hmm. But maybe in the sense, hey, I've actually learned something from this. Yeah. And yeah, and that also means that some mistakes are uh, a little bit concrete. I've accepted uh, uh, jobs for the wrong reason because of the high salary, mm-hmm. but it didn't make me happy. So then I realized very quickly that wasn't for me. And one of the examples I have referred to quite a lot over time is... In the very beginning of my career, I did an internal um, evaluation of a company I used to work for. Mm-hmm. I was interviewing all the top directors, and I called that report holding up the mirror, because for me, I was just noting down what they said, mm-hmm. and I used to put that on a report. Mm-hmm. So I got the advice of one of the senior directors, well, when you um, share this report, please put draft on the report. Mm-hmm. And I was a little bit uh, arrogant and cocky at the time. I just ignored that advice. No, uh, the report's good. It's final. I, I, I sent it to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I did not understand why nobody was reading it or uh, why nobody was acknowledging the report. Mm-hmm. And then it hit me that I never realized that although I was comfortable interviewing uh, all these high-level directors, mm. from their perception, I was just a junior, uh, which they wanted to, to, to please a bit. And I did not realize at the time, by putting draft on the report, I gave everybody the opportunity mm. to uh, add their comments to the report to take a little bit of ownership. Okay. Uh, so I did not understand that advice at the time, but as I did not follow that advice, that really gave me a life lessons. I've been trying to share with as much people after that as possible. Fantastic. What a fabulous answer. Fritz, thank you very much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I loved your last comment, you know, on on failure with it. After every first step comes the next first step. And I loved your definition of, you know, the the difference between networking and communication is good listening. This has been an absolutely incredible conversation. Thank you very much. Ashish, it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.